I started realizing my same um, type of investor kept coming back to me over and over again. And those were the military guys, whether they were veterans or active duty guys that were like, oh, you know, you're doing this as active duty and overseas. That was just, that was just really intriguing to a lot of people. And so, you know, they wanted to get, you know, a piece of that. And so I, you know, I started talking more and more with these real estate, you know, these um, military guys, active duty guys in particular, who were like, yeah, you know, I don't have 50 grand. Sorry, like I don't, you know, I don't meet this accredited status. And, you know, in most of those deals, we were kind of getting to the end of how many people we could actually have um, um, sophisticated investors wise. Uh, and then as you guys know, and your, your you know, listeners may know, like if you only have 35 uh, sophisticated non-accredited investors you can have in those deals. So, you know, when you're, you're raising, you know, five, $10 million, it's, it's a little more difficult to try to find um, those amount of people um, without having to be able to advertise. All right, guys, welcome again to another amazing episode. Today we have Anthony Pinto, uh, Mission Capital. Uh, he is starting a fund. He's he's done uh, several multifamily syndication. He he's stationed in Japan. He's a military member. Uh, so sh- shout out to all our fellow uh, service members. He's uh, he has twenty million in, in assets under management and controls over three hundred units. Uh, they were all acquired in twenty twenty. So it hasn't been that long that he's been diving into this. So we're gonna we're gonna dive into his history and and how he's made that jump so quick. So Anthony, if you can go ahead and give us a little bit about your background, uh, how, how you got started, and then uh, you know that aha moment, specifically into multifamily syndication funds, because I know for us it's not a world that we were privy of, you know, just like you, not not that long ago, to be honest with you. So yeah, let us know, man. Yeah, absolutely. And and guys, I know it's. Uh... You know, we've been trying to get on the the podcast schedule here together, so I appreciate you guys making it work yeah. with uh, with my schedule here. No, no, um, same thing with us, man. We're we're all over the place. So yeah. It. <laughs> no, it, it's it's all good. I, yeah, I I know, especially being you know in the military, it's uh, and overseas, it's it's difficult to try to time things up. But I appreciate it, nonetheless. Um, yeah. So I'm Anthony Pinto. I'm an active duty submarine officer. I say currently stationed here in uh, Yokosuka, Japan which is about um, an hour and a half, two hours south of Tokyo. Um, been here for about a year. I'll be here for another two years um, before I uh, get out of the Navy. Um, married to uh, also uh, an active duty nurse, Navy nurse who lives out here with me as well. Uh, no kids, just the two of us right now. Although we have a, do have a dog, but we had to leave her back in the States, unfortunately. Um, so on the family side, you know, that's, it's really just two of us right now, kind of living our, our best life, uh, trying to travel as much as possible here in Japan. But it's, I mean, I'm sure it's the same for you guys. It's all military guys are pretty much locked down no matter where you, where you are, which yeah. is unfortunate, but, um, so yeah, so real estate, you know, it's, it's interesting to me that, um, and looking back on it now is like, there's no way that I could do what I've done from Japan, but you know, you're talking about the record I've had, you know, $20 million in, ass- in assets and, you know, the 300-ish units, pretty much all of that has been during 2020. And all that has been while I've been here stationed in Japan. And I think it's um, kind of a testament. And, you know, I'll get into this in the aha moments and some lessons learned later, but it's a testament to the people that you bring on your team and finding the right people to bring on the team, right? Um, obviously, I couldn't do what I'm doing 
by myself from here from Japan, like not only just finding properties, but at being able to manage the properties, deal with the lending side of things, you know, finding the, the um, or having the right net worth and liquidity to be able to take down these deals. Like it's, it wouldn't have been possible for me to, to do it on my own. I probably could have scrapped something together, but ultimately, you know, multifamily and, and large multifamily is a team sport. And, uh, you know, you're not going to get very far if you're trying to take, you know, hundred percent of a grape when you can take, you know, 50% of the, of the watermelon. Um, so I'll start with that. But in terms of, you know, real estate and how I you know, got started into this in the first place. So, um, so I've been in for, gosh, six and a half years now. Yeah, six and a half years. And the first three years of my active duty time um, was on the USS Albany, a, a submarine out of uh, Norfolk, Virginia. And that was considered to be my sea tour. So I spent just about three years, um, mainly in the shipyard, but we did go out for a little bit of time on sea trials on Albany. And, um, you know, towards the end of that, that uh, sea tour, I just kind of realized that, uh, you know, I was looking at what my next job would have been as apartment heads or XOs or COs. And like those guys just looked like miserable doing the jobs they were doing, you know, and, uh, you know, they weren't spending a lot of time with their family and they're always at work. And, you know, in, in the shipyard environment, it's a little different. It's not going to be necessarily like that all the time. Um, but I just I didn't envision that for myself uh, in the future. And so, you know, I started looking for other means to, um, you know, supplement my income or to, uh, you know, just get into another career altogether. And so, um, you know, I started looking for side hustles. And, you know, one of the ones that came up when I just searched, like, I, I think I literally searched side hustle, uh, military or uh, real estate investing came up. And, uh, you know, I started digging a lot more into it. You know, I, I summoned on bigger pockets. Uh, I ran into some guys who were doing military uh, real estate investing, like, um, like Stuart Grazier and, uh, and the API guys. And, um, you know, I just fell in love with this, this idea of being able to control, kind of control my own destiny, right? I mean, you know, there's only so much you can be able to do in the military with being able to control like your, your duty assignments, how much time you're going to spend there, um, you know, being able to go out to sea or not go out to sea. So, you know, the, the appeal was being able to have the freedom of time um, and ultimately of money um, within my life. And so um, getting ahead of myself there, but uh, started doing a lot more research into it. And so in the summer of 2018, I started reading, you know, the quintessential rich dad, poor dad, and also read a book called Set for Life by Scott Trench, who's currently the uh, CEO of Bigger Pockets. And um, that book, if you haven't read it, is amazing. It's um, it it really opened my eyes to these this idea of house hacking and living below your means. And yeah. so, um, reading this underway and uh, you know just devouring them, and you know I got got in my head like, okay, you know I still have my VA loan or I have a portion of my VA loan to be able to use. So you know why not try to purchase a small multifamily property and house hack it. And so I was like, okay, you know, I can get up to a four unit, a quad, might as well try for that. And so um, in the meantime, like my wife doesn't know anything about what I'm reading. You know, we're, we're kind of vaguely talking about it. She knows I brought some books underway. So, you know, I get off my boat the day before Thanksgiving in 2018. I'm like, hey, babe, we're going to move. We're going to move out of our current 2000 square foot house in Virginia Beach, which just us and move into a four unit and potentially a really shitty place for the next year that we can house hack this, you know, this property. Um, and as you can imagine, that conversation didn't initially go well. And uh, I, I think that that's probably a good, um, a good lesson learned in that, 
if you're going to get in, in on this journey, uh, whether that's house hacking, buying multi, you know, large multifamily, buying land, whatever it is, you really need to have the full family on board with it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, particularly in the beginning, it was our own finances, like coming together uh, that, you know, we're supporting the business. And to some extent, it kind of still is. Um, but, you know, I never would have had this level of success or um, commitment that I've had without, you know, my wife being on board with it. And, you know, it took a little bit of time and we can delve into, you know, how, you know, how we got past the initial kind of rumblings with, with her thoughts on it. Um, but, uh, you know, so Thanksgiving came around, I started going to real estate meetups, uh, the first week in December, uh, met my real estate agent there, met a lot of people, especially other military guys who were doing what I was doing. And, uh, just kind of further solidified my, this path that I was on. Um, and so by end of December, uh, we had found and had a, a quad under contract in Old Town, Portsmouth, um, which was about like five minutes away from where I worked at the shipyard at the time. And so um, we bought that one uh, in January of 29, close, or January of um, 2019, and closed on that one. And then in February of 2019, uh, we found, found and uh, closed on a, a triplex using a joint venture with a couple other Navy guys. And then, uh, you know, with those two properties together, you know, I, I was, we were kind of juggling a lot of pretty much, so we had single family home, the quad and the triplex, and all of them were vacant at the time. And oh, right. one of uh, the quad needed to be, you know, pretty much fully renovated, even for us to live there. So, you know, we're dealing with three different mortgages. There's no tenants coming in. And, you know, it was just a very stressful situation. And, you know, we were able to support it with our income and get started getting tenants in there. But it was um, it was a rough couple months getting started there initially with having all those mortgages coming down. And so as we started getting tenants into these properties, I started to realize that, you know, I was spending just as much energy on my four unit, you know, as or, or sorry, as my single family unit as I was on my four unit. And same with a triplex, like, and so I just thought to myself, like, you know, I could stumble through, you know, these small multifamilies here or there and eventually get to, you know, 200, maybe a hundred units, um, you know, find that financial freedom number, or we could just go big right off the bat. Like, you know, it's, I've heard a ton of people say the same thing, like they're spending just as much time on their hundred unit as they are in their single family houses or small multifamily. And, you know, it's absolutely true, especially with the amount of time that you're spending on, on acquiring the property in the first place. You know, there's a few more, uh, you know, zeros at the end of the price on a large multifamily property. And it's, you know, it's a little, um, the p- time period is generally a little bit longer. So it's a few extra steps, but the overall process is pretty much the same for buying a single family home as it is for a large multifamily apartment building. And so, you know, I just kind of realized I could spend all this time finding, you know, maybe two or three deals a year at, you know, small multifamily range and also have to compete with all these other people that were looking for the same properties. And, you know, the barrier to entry is much, much lower. So you're competing with a lot more people or it could just do large multifamily. So, you know, you speak of your aha moment. That was really it for me. And, you know, April, May of, of um, you know, 2019, where it's just like, man, like, I feel like, I'm kind of spinning my wheels doing all these smaller deals when we could do something bigger. And not only that, but, you know, do something bigger and bring on other partners and bring on, you know, investor capital and, you know, potentially do this for no money down that, that was very appealing to me. And at that time I knew I was coming to Japan. So, you know, the thought of trying to build my own empire by myself with a small multifamily, you know, from Japan 
was going to be really difficult for me. So, um, so large multifamily is a lot more appealing. And so, um, so I go into a ton of different conferences around the country back when we could actually travel some and, uh, you know, met a lot of awesome people and networked with a lot of people and really, uh, felt again, validated in what I was doing with large multifamily, um, and like this concept of, uh, of, you know, apartment building investing. So, uh, fast forward to July, I had a, um, a 34 unit under contract and uh, I was in Kansas city. It was, uh, it was one of those loop net properties that everyone tells you to avoid. And, but I, you know, I'd been doing this for three months. I thought I had everything in the bag. Like I knew exactly what to do. Um, had nothing, I had nothing in the bag, I had no, you know, I didn't have any support system. I didn't have any capital raise, didn't have anybody a boots on the ground. Um, I literally didn't meet any any of the wickets I needed to take down this property. And, um, you know, I was just like, oh yeah, I'll figure it out, you know, a month from now, or I'll figure it out two weeks from now. And, um, you know, luckily it, uh, you know, I went to tour the property, um, you know, about, I think a week or so before due diligence was supposed to end. And uh, I just realized that this property was going to take probably about half the amount of about half of the value of the property just to get it functional and, and turned around. Um, and so I decided to walk away and, you know, we pulled it before due diligence was done. So, you know, we didn't lose our EMD there, uh, but it was a great lesson learned. Um, and the fact that I needed partners to take down these larger properties and there was, um, there were check boxes that had not fit to, that you need yeah. to, to, you take these down and, you know, with single family homes and small multifamily, um, it's much more that based off of your individual income and buying it yourself, right? But with a large commercial loan and larger properties, um, you know, it's much more based off of the property, the income producing of the property that the property is going to be doing, and but also the individuals who are going to be able to guarantee that loan. And so, you know, when you're dealing with hundred thousand dollars, you can probably support that on your own income. But when you're dealing with the two, three million dollar property, um, you know, there's obviously you need to have a little bit more uh, um, heavy guns behind you to be able to take something like that down. Um, so, you know, I only, in the end, I lost about five grand on that one from uh, travel and inspection costs on it, but it was, you know, five grand well, well spent um, to, to realize the lessons learned from that. So, uh, so we, I uh, got out of contract on that one in August, September of 19, and I just started focusing a lot more on the things that I could do from, from Japan, which was a lot more content, um, lessons learned, and, and decided to start a podcast. So I um, started doing interviews for the podcast in November of 2019 before I came out here um, in December. And uh, one of the first people I did an interview with was a guy named Phil Capron. And, um, you know, we'd known each other for better part of a year at that point. Um, but he's he was big in the Hampton Roads area, which is where I was stationed at the time. And uh, after we did the interview, he was like, hey, you know, I got this deal uh, that you know, have on the contract, 104 unit deal. Uh, was, at the time, it was about 10 minutes away from where I lived. Um, he asked, hey, would you be interested in coming in on this deal if you could help capital raise for it? And I was like, okay, sure. Like, I, I don't know how much I'm going to be able to capital raise. And I've never, you know, I, I raised some money for that joint venture. But, you know, that's 50, you know, $50,000. And, you know, here we were, that deal was 2.8. Yeah, $2.8 million that we were raising for it. So obviously a, lot, a much, uh, much bigger chunk of change. Um, but I said, you know, I just said yes and, and figured it out. And, um, so, 
uh, just started busting my ass to start raising money and, and you know getting this uh, you know get this deal done. And uh, in March of 2000, or sorry, March of 2020, we closed on that deal, my first large apartment complex. And it, it was literally like two days before all this lending you know fiasco happened with COVID. So, um, you know, we were looking at potentially having to double or maybe even triple our reserves and everything else. And the deal would have just blown up if that would have happened. So, you know, we got in right under the, under the wire on that yeah. deal, which was huge for us. Um, and I think that's a huge, that's a great testament to, you know, my partner, Phil, for being able to kind of see the writing on the wall and be, realizing that, oh shit, like Every this is what we're it. happening is, is unprecedented and. Yeah. There's probably going to be some sort of, you know, lending issues, probably going to be a lot of pullback on the lending side and finance side. So we'll oh, yeah. T- need to tons. get this done now. <laughs> yeah, lending, yeah, lending stopped there for a bit. So, you yeah. know, let, let me unravel everything there a little bit. I have to see. Sure, sure. What, you, you know, you mentioned you capital raise. So obviously there's different ways you can get into a deal. And that's, and that's one of them for the, for the audience. Um, how much were you able to raise? How hard was it? And what was your circle of influence that you were able to reach out to? Sure. So um, it was your fir- first time, right? That. Sorry, go ahead. Absolute first time, right? Raising? Um, but yeah, besides the joint venture that we did, yeah. Oh, okay, first time raising at this scale, yeah. Um, so Ray, so total was 2.8 for that deal. I ended up raising about 800,000-ish for that. Um and which really surprised me. I didn't even think I was going to be re- able to raise a few hundred thousand. Um, but, you know, one of the big lessons learned from that is I started digging my well well in advance for needing it. So, you know, pretty much from the time that I realized that multifamily was my path to go down, I started, you know, networking with people and I started building out my brand and started, you know, um, talking to a lot of people about, hey, this is what I'm planning on doing. Um, and you know, I had, a, I had a sample pitch deck. I was talking to people about, Hey, you know, this is a general type of property that we're getting involved in, in this general market. Um, these are the general returns you're probably going to see and, you know, getting people's, uh, you know, soft commits or at least interest from that. So, you know, I had acquired quite a few people that I could reach out to, or at least had, um, you know, told me they were interested at least just to get me to, to go away and stop bothering them. So, uh, so I had a little bit of, I guess, of a war chest or soft commits built up. Um, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a, what I thought was a significant amount. So, uh, when we actually had a deal, you know, under contract, we just started tapping those people. And I think what really did it is, you know, even though I wasn't initially on the deal and I obviously hadn't negotiated it, I made that deal, my deal. And I knew that thing like the back of my hand. And I think that's, that's paramount when you're coming in, especially as, um, you know, tantamount to just being a capital raiser, even though there's a few, you know, obviously have to do more than that, um, is you really need to make the deal your deal, right? It's not, you know, um, XYZ incorporated partnering up with whoever else, like, you know, good day capital. It's, you know, Anthony Pinto and his company, you know, leading the deal on this, right? And so you should have, be as knowledgeable as possible about the deal um and you know almost as much as a lead sponsor right you know know the tax implications behind what's gonna what's gonna happen why you pick that particular market you know what are some of the issues coming up with the property like what are your concerns um you know what's the rent plan going to look like you know and be able to have all of those details like fresh within your mind regardless if you're the lead sponsor or you're raising a hundred thousand dollars only or you know whatever else right that deal should be your deal so between having, you know, my, my well dug beforehand and, and really taking ownership of that deal, 
Um, I was able to tap a lot of friends and family, a lot of military investors that, you know, I had been talking to um, about my journey for the past few months at that point. And because uh, I was I was blogging, I was putting stuff on you know social media. Um, you know, I had my, obviously had my own website. So those I think were the were the big parts of it. Um, where and the deal obviously was a was a pretty good deal as well. That that didn't hurt. <laughs> yeah, no, that's awesome. German, you had something? So you're right. No, I was gonna ask a question, but you stole it from me. Oh, the same line? Yeah, because uh, I mean, it's, it's interesting to uh, especially you know for for your first deal. Um, People want to know, it's like, do you use any systems? Do you use any marketing tools? Do you use, you know, uh, how, do, how do you build that network? Uh, but basically, I mean, you, you explained it all because that, that was one of my questions. Like, do you use any marketing? But you started building it from, from the beginning, talking to these people. Uh, what is it that you were doing it? What type of properties and what the returns are? So, yeah, you answered the question right there. That's pretty cool. No, that's awesome, man. Uh, yeah. So let me, you know, back up to something in the beginning you were saying about you know, with, uh, with your wife and making sure uh, it worked out with the family. So how did you actually eventually get over that hurdle? As we hear all the time, right? Like one person likes real estate, one person is not so into it. How did you get over that hurdle with, with your wife? Sure. Um, great question. And, uh, you know, I'll preface this by saying, you know, I'm, a, uh, I'm an engineer, I guess, by trade. And uh, my wife is not at all. She's a nurse. So our, our, the way that we think about things is very different. And uh, I didn't realize how different that was until we tried to, until I started trying to tell her about what real estate investing would do for us on like an engineering financial, you know, um, uh, you know money wise level. Right. Uh, and so, you know, I was showing her charts, I was showing her, you know, graphs and all the money we we're going to make off of this. And, you know, even if, we had, you know, X amount of vacancy, we we're still going to make this amount of money, and we're going to cash flow all of this. And like, she didn't care about any of those things, you know, and I think it's, it's, um, it's interesting, uh, kind of segue into <laughs> understanding the dynamics behind what men and women um, value and cherish. And for men, it's a lot more about growth and, um, you know, getting to that next milestone and, you know, and about, uh, you know, having financial security and, and you making a lot of money and, and that kind of mindset. Um, and then, you know, and that's generalizing, but we care more about that type of, of, um, factor and facet within our life. Like that constant kind of growing, you know, pushing and, and, and growing into it and more, a better, more financially, um, you know, independent person, but, you know, uh, but, uh, you know, women and, and my wife in particular there, we care a lot more about the security and the, are we going to be okay aspect of it? Right. The kind of, um, warm and fuzzy feeling that you're going to get from it rather than the cold, hard cash that you're going to get from it. And so um, understanding that I had to, to convince her and, you know, and kind of tell her like, Hey, yes, you know, although we're going to be spending this amount of money, although we're going to have, you know, you know, three unit, you know, three properties that are going to be vacant. Uh, although we have all of these hurdles to overcome, you know, ultimately, yes, we have the income to be able to support these, you know, even for a few months if needed. Um, you know, this is building up something for us to be able to, you know, use whether we stay in the military or not. Um, and just really made her feel comfortable with um, the security that we are finding ourselves in versus not having any of that and, you know, and having to rely on um, potentially having to go back out to the workforce again and, you know, go from, uh, you know, what the time one toxic environment to another work, you know, toxic work environment. Um, and so that's really kind of what it led to is just constantly talking to her about it, but also realizing that like, she didn't, she didn't care 
about charge or grass or, or money or any of that. She cared about like, are we going to be okay in the end of all this? Like, uh, you know, uh, you know, three, four or five months down the line, are we going to be bankrupt? Cause that was really one, her biggest concern is like, you know, um, she had never really been exposed to like an entrepreneurial mindset or like real estate investing in this, in this manner, you know, her parents owned their own house. They'd owned it. Um, I think they own it outright right now, but you know, they've been in the same house for 20 years. Uh, but that was the, uh, you know, the view on money for them is like, you know, you make your money, you save a certain amounts, um, you maybe go spend it occasionally, you, you own and buy your own house. And that's like kind of the extent of, of their entrepreneurial spirit within their family. So it was just, uh, it was something that was kind of like trying to expand her mind to the possibilities of what, of real, what real estate investing could provide. Um, but to answer your question, it was not easy. And uh, yeah, it no, took a lot of a lot of effort on my part and like kind of, I'm going to say banging my head, but banging my head against the wall, trying to figure out like why she doesn't get what I see. And ultimately it just came down to trust. Like, you know, she's not, she's not sitting in here with me uh, looking at, at uh, you know, underwriting and, and, you know, looking at financing and, Oh, like, man, the interest rates are low. We should refinance right now. Like that doesn't get her excited. Um, so she gives me a lot, a lot of trust to be able to take care of a lot of that. Um, but that took time. That took time and, and, Proof of concept, if you will. Yeah, no, I hear you. Man, talk to us about. I'm, I'm interested. My brother mentioned it uh, before when we were doing the introduction about your fund. Um, what is it that you're doing? Uh, why a fund? Um, yeah, uh, tell us about it. Sure. Uh, so, uh, Mission First Capital Fund got the little little uli up there. Mm -hmm. um, so, I guess I should I should preface this with you know why you know, what we did for the past year. So, you know, obviously we did the 104 unit, did it through a syndication. Uh, we did through a 50B, uh, sorry, a 56B, uh, which means we, you know, had some non-accredited investors, sophisticated investors come on board. Um, and then the next two deals we also, we did after that were also 506Bs as well. Um, we did 112 unit and a 92 unit. And, uh, you know, my same, I started realizing my same um, type of investor kept coming back to me over and over again. And those were the military guys whether they were veterans or active duty guys that were like, Oh, you know, you're doing this as active duty and overseas. That was just, that was just really intriguing to a lot of people. And so, you know, they wanted to get you know a piece of that. And so I, you know, I started talking more and more with these real estate you know, or these um, military guys, active duty guys in particular, who were like, yeah, you know, I don't have 50 grand. Sorry. Like I don't, you know, I don't meet this accredited status. And, you know, in most of those deals, we were kind of getting to the end of, how many people we could actually have um, um, sophisticated investors wise. Uh, and as you guys know, and your, your you know, listeners may know, like you only have 35 uh, sophisticated non-accredited investors you can have on those deals. So, you know, when you're, you're raising, you know, five, $10 million, it's, it's a little more difficult to try to find um, those amount of people um, without having to be able to advertise. So it's, it's kind of a, um, a, a, uh, it's definitely a barrier to bring in a lot of people at that age. Cause a lot of, a lot more investors nowadays, like, you know, more sophisticated uh, syndicators are doing five or six C's and only having accredited investors. So, you know, just got me thinking like, you know, there's, there's guys out there who don't have $50,000 who are hungry to get into these deals. They may only have five, 10, you know, 15 grand. Um, the vast majority of military guys just don't meet accredited status. I mean, it just it, due to um, the amount of income we make, uh, you know, and even in bonuses, you know, a lot of people make great bonuses, but that's, you know, it's all non taxable income. So it doesn't, mm -hmm. it doesn't technically count. 
So, you know, just got me thinking, um, how do we get more guys involved in real estate investing from, you know, as military veterans? Because it was such a huge opportunity for me to be able to make a future for myself and while I was in, I wanted that for other people. Um, you know, whether they were you know, two years into the military or whether they were just getting ready to retire. So, you know, we started Mission First Capital, uh, the fund as a, you know, 100% veteran owned and operated uh, ulterior option to being able to do syndications and built it out specifically for military, you know, active duty and veteran investors. Uh, with the thought that we wanted to be able to include everyone in on these deals. Now, it doesn't matter if you had, you know, $50,000 to throw, you know, to invest or $5,000 or if you're accredited or not accredited, right? It was, uh, it, we wanted to keep it, open it up to anyone in the military who wanted to invest. So, you know, we opened, we started Mission First Capital as a Reg A plus fund. And that means that we're able to have an unlimited amount of accredited, not accredited investors involved. We're able to have a much lower minimum on um, you're typically going to see with the syndication, which is in, in this case is 5,000. Um, but you're still getting the same tax benefits as you would in the syndication. You're still being able to share the benefits of, you know, cost segregation analysis and depreciation, right? You're still getting the same, um, you know, level of, of, uh, of um, returns that you would typically see in, in syndications, right? Um, but it's just a little more effort on our part and a little bit more money on our part. But ultimately, it's, it's worth it because now we're able to include a lot more people that were um, otherwise unable to get in, into these deals. Uh, and, and it's, it's just, it's really frustrating that so many of these quality, uh, real estate investment deals are only available to the rich and powerful, right? Only yep. available to guys who make kind of, in my opinion, a, a arbitrary financial status. And, and, you know, I understand why we have the credit status. It's to protect, you know, the average investor, but as we can see nowadays with what's, what's, what's happening with Robin hood and GameStop, like the average investor has just as much knowledge at their disposal and just as much power as, you know, these guys yeah. who are meeting accredited status. So, um, so I want, I want to open this up to more guys and more military guys and active duty guys to be able to have the same access to these, you know, these high, high caliber level of deals that we were getting into before. So that's an impetus for the fund. And, um, and uh, you know, the, the ideals, I guess, behind it. So did you have any specific questions on, you know, what we're, what we're doing with it? No, man, I absolutely love it. Uh, well, I do have a few, but just to piggyback on it, I, I love it because that is the same concept that we have. And that's the concept behind the podcast and why we are also heading in the same direction with a fund because we realize that exposure, right? We never were exposed to these types of investments and see it as unfair, right? Even though I may be as educated about it, I can't invest in it because I'm not an accredited guy, right? It's just, or, or just they can't market to me because I'm not an accredited guy. That that exposure is huge. Even if they don't invest or they invest with someone else, it is kind of a whole different world, right? But I was going to ask, are you, is your strategy to, you know, that fund, um, are you going to diversify and and go into uh, other people's projects as a uh, as part of the, the raise for their projects, or are you just doing it for in-house? Great question. Great question. I think I think we might have talked about this before offline, um, but you know we have three main methods of how we are planning to deploy the capital, and you know obviously the first one is is Phil and I being the the managing partners of that. 
Um, majority of our deals are in Hampton Roads. And so we're going to continue looking for properties in Hampton Roads because Phil has a, a uh, distinct advantage within that market. Uh, he's got, you know, he's been in there for a while. He knows all the brokers. You know, he's got a, an eye for, you know, how much things are going to cost. And, and we have a lot of, of uh, connections and networking done within that area. Uh, but understanding that, you know, good deals are kind of hard to come by nowadays. Uh, you kind of have to cast your net a little bit wider. Uh, our second means is to work with other veteran operators around the country. So specifically other military guys, whether they're active duty or, or, uh, or veterans, um, and, and partner up on those deals and keep it all, you know, in-house military, I guess, if you will, as well. Um, you know, and then there's, you know, the, your, your Quintos, your, you probably know the same people that I'm thinking of who are, you know, either retired or still active duty, who are doing this. Um, and there's, there's a lot of them um, oh, yeah, yeah. I'm working with. And, you know, they're involved in the markets that um, are, uh, you know, kind of the hot markets right now where there's a lot more deals going on. And, you know, they're still looking to raise capital themselves because they're doing syndications. And so we would come in essentially as the LP in those deals um, and work with them to, uh, to take them down. Because uh, capital raising is hard, whether you're, you know, you're raising $2 million or $10 million, depending on your level of scale and how much time you've had, it's, uh, um, it's, it's difficult. It's difficult. And so, uh, so we're planning on working with other military guys around the country to, uh, to purchase stuff, you know, local to those in, in those, those markets. And then the third means is um, we're planning on setting up, um, I guess if you want to call them remote outposts around the country where it's a mission first capital brand but we're bringing in active duty guys off of the um, skill bridge program to come and learn um, about, uh, you know, what it takes to, uh, you know, talk to brokers and what it takes to underwrite deals and find property managers and, you know, asset manage and, um, you know, everything involved with, you know, finding and, and uh, running multifamily properties to have them come to, you know, Virginia and, and learn from Phil through the skill bridge program and then deploy them around the country to set up their own shop essentially. And we act as the mother fund for those guys. So active duty guys or veterans who, who, who need a job who wanted into real estate and, and essentially let the sky be the limit for them in terms of their income, right? So, you know, if they wanna have, um, you know, $5 million in sales a year, or they wanna have $1 in sales a year, right? That's totally up to them. And so they're kind of making their their own fate. But, you know, we're employing other, other you know, hungry, uh, active duty guys to come in and learn, um, you know, what it takes to, you know, be successful within this field and then deploying to, you know, their home of record or deploying wherever they they want it to be located. And, you know, places like Florida, uh, Dallas and, you know, New York and North Carolina, all these different places around the country and just have, you know, lots and lots of different satellites set up and providing for, you know, capital for them. And it's interesting, it's interesting that they mentioned that program because I'm actually taking advantage of that. Uh, and I'll do the, uh, the internship in Tampa, helping another guy uh, um, grow his business as we grow ours, um, especially because Tampa is a market that we're focusing on. So yeah, for the uh, active duty military who are transitioning out, take advantage of it. And it, the process is, is, is very easy. It's just a matter of asking and that's pretty much it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and it seems like you could start your own business and um, turn yourself <laughs> it almost seems that way so i'll throw it out there but um so you know for the guys that are more active uh what what is the process uh that you guys went through to start a break fund sure um so i'll just preface this that uh you know it it takes a bit of money and it takes a bit of time and um 
I would say headache, but there's a lot more hoops to jump through uh, with the Reggae Plus Fund. So if you're planning on raising, you know, like a million dollars or $2 million, probably not worth it. Ultimately, um, the amount of costs that get added up to it, it's just, it's, un it's untenable at that amount of, of capital. So if you're planning on getting into it, you really need to fully go, you know, like the, you know, 30, 50, you know, $75 million range, which the 75 million is the, is the cap now for it. Um, so really be, need to be committed to raising, you know, a large amount of money um, and, and feel comfortable with uh, the resources that you have to be able to do that. So the, uh, the process is, um, is similar to doing a private placement. You're getting, you're employing an SEC attorney, you know, they're getting a private placement memorandum equivalent documentation, um, you know, prepared for you. And in this case, it's an offering circular instead of a, a PPM because it's um, a Reggae Plus Fund is a uh, registered securities with SEC. So versus, you know, a normal syndication where it's a private placement, it's uh, kind of after the fact and it gets exempt from having to be registered with the SEC. So um, it's, it's publicly, uh, it's a publicly registered company at that point, right? There's obviously a lot more um, auditing and accounting that has to be taken account for public, public reporting. Um, and so a lot more oversight overall, right? Uh, the process takes about, depending on how diligent you want to be in it. And if it's your first time, probably takes about six to nine months in total to, uh, to get one up and running. Um, and the costs so far, you're probably, depending on, you know, how expensive you want to go on uh, your SEC attorney, probably going to be about 200 to 250,000 to, to get it started. Um, and you're dealing with accounting, you're dealing with auditing, marketing. Um, if you're working with any specific dealer brokers, obviously your SEC attorney, um, there's a lot of fees associated with uh, you know, all the blue sky filings, so on and so forth, right? So, but the process all starts with finding the right SEC attorney that has done a Reg A plus fund before. Um, you know, there's, there's SEC attorneys that can do private placements, um, you know, Reg, reg uh, 56B or C, you know, yeah. in their sleep, right? There's guys, you're, those guys are kind of a dime a dozen. But um, what it takes to build out a Reg A plus fund, the paperwork that's associated with it, you know, obviously all the legal um, hoops that you have to jump through, um, you're physically going to have, or you're going to actually have the SEC respond back to you and give comments on it. And you have to fix those. So um, you're going to need to have someone who um, knows the process well enough that they can steer you through a lot of the potholes that you're yeah. going to end up finding yourself in. Cause uh, there's a lot of, um, there's a, there's a lot of potholes to have to, to have to get around on this process. It's not something that a lot of people do. Um, and so there's a lot, not a lot of necessary literature out there um, to be able to get it around, right? Um, there's, a, there's a ton of people who are teaching syndications and how to do multifamily yeah. investing, right? How to raise capital through a private placement, uh, but not a lot they're doing it through, you know, this method that we're doing. So um, it's, it's a lot of self-discovery, but a lot of that can be mitigated by having the right, um, the right people on your team. And, uh, you know, that's probably a good transition for one of the things that um, I as aspired to recently has been um, asking myself the question, who, not how. So who can I have on my team that's going to help me build out a Reggae Plus fund, you know, and raise $30 million within the first year, right? Who am I going to, who can I find who can help build out our investor portal or help build our sales funnel? Uh, who can I find who, you know, is going to, you know, man our, our, um, you know, our marketing team and make sure that, you know, we're going to be successful in that, in that regard. And, you know, so much of my time up to that point had been about how, like, how can I do this myself rather than who can I bring onto the team for it? And so that's really going to be the difference between, you know, making or breaking it in, in the reggae plus realm 
is uh, who you have on your team that can make you successful. But, you know, I'll preface it. It's, you know, it's not for the, the uh, faint of heart, right? There's, there's obviously a lot of money, upfront money and capital and time that you need to invest in it to, to get going, right? But there's also uh, a lot more opportunity to bring in um, investors that you otherwise wouldn't have access to, right? So obviously a lot more opportunity to, you know, raise capital in smaller amounts of money, right? But obviously raise capital on a, on a much larger scale than you may otherwise uh, have access to. But you're, you're also having to deal with, you're going to need to raise a lot more money than- Yeah, because it's going to be readily, readily available. Yeah, yeah right. you got to be able to deliver on your return promise uh, as right. well at that at that scale. Are you? Do you have a do you have a time limit and how long you need to uh, how quick or how long you need to raise uh, your 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 cap or your amount? Sure. Um, so once you get SEC approval, um, they say yeah, you're good to go and you can start actually accepting capital. You have a year to raise that capital. Um, so right now the cap is fifty million. So, you know, let's say if we get approved, you know, approved in March of 2021, we have a whole year to be able to raise 50 million, right? Um, but the caveat to that is, is you can add on an additional year and raise another 50 million the next year as well. So within one fund, technically the limit is 50 million, but you can extend that to be a hundred million. And there's not really a lot that you need to do besides just tell the SEC, hey, you know, we're going to raise an additional amount of money, right? So, you know, for upfront costs of, you know, 200, $250,000, um, you know, you could potentially raise hundred million dollars off of through this method. Right. Um, and uh, next year, I actually, I don't think it's been fully approved yet, but if you started a fund this year in 2021, like later 2021, uh, the cap is now 75 million. So um, obviously a lot more wiggle room and a lot more money that you can raise there. Yeah. But uh, yeah. So to answer your question, the limit is, is typically a year. Um, that's actually raise the money, right? And then you close the fund and then you operated it. You operate it until, you know, you close the fund if that's, you know, three, five, 10 years from now. Yeah. Okay. No, that's awesome, man. That's great information. I think a lot of people are getting get value out of it. Jeremy, you, you have anything else? No, no, no. I like to thank you for, for all the details. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Cause like you say, a lot of people are doing syndications and a lot of people see funds and it's like, Oh, let me go there. And it's so easy to do. Um, but yeah, yeah, thank you for giving us all those uh, extra steps that no, not everybody hears about it. Yeah, yeah. and if you, if, you know, for the listener out there, if you want to listen to a specific fund episode, uh, you can go back and listen to our episode with uh, Bridger Pennington, uh, pretty big uh, fund uh, manager. So check him out in that episode, and we talk more in detail about how to how to structure it. But yeah, man, Anthony, if you can. Uh, Tell the audience, man, where, where can they uh, where can they find you? You know, where can they find Mission Mission First Capital and your podcast? And your podcast, sure. Yeah, I'll just uh, self promote real quick. Um, so, Anthony Pinto, you can find me on on Facebook or LinkedIn. I'm pretty active on social media in general. Uh, you also can email me at Anthony at missionfirstcapital.co, and then you can also check out our website as well, missionfirstcapital.co. Um, in terms of the podcast, I uh, also host the Lessons in Real Estate show, where we bring on military multifamily investors to you know talk about their lessons learned on their on their uh, pathways to success. Oscar's been on there. I'm going to have German on soon, so definitely a, uh, a great source of information for uh, particularly military guys who are you know trying to make a uh, make headwinds in the multifamily realm, whether you're active duty or not. Awesome. 
Awesome. Thanks, man. Thanks for coming on and for the listeners out there. If you can't leave us a five-star review, uh, go ahead and check our new uh, our new uh, course that's out, our ebook and our um, our digital planner. Uh, you know, getting it ready for 2022. We'll get a new one out then. But yeah, stay tuned and we'll stay in touch. We're out.